I'm going to begin at verse 1, read down through and include verse, verse 10. I really didn't want to do that. I'm struggling because of time. I don't want to take a long time in the message, but I, I, think, I think me reading it is necessity. The Word of God said, And Balaam said unto Balak, which is the king of the Moabites, by the way, who was afraid of the nation of Israel. He had known or heard about what the nation of Israel did after coming out of Egypt against Og and, and uh, another king that I can't remember his name and what happened at Jericho and other places as they made their way to the land of promise or to the place that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Balak, Balak reached out to a man to the name of Balaam who was a prophet for hire. I'm going to tell you all something. He's probably the most unique individual that you'll read about in the Word of God. He's hard to figure. Hard to figure. I was even reminded in studying of this that he referred to the one true God as my God. Capital G. My God. That's interesting to me. He said, build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven oxes and seven rams. Now, Balaam knew something about worship. Balaam knew something about what God demanded in worship. And I'm made to believe that he was such a prophet, since he was a prophet for hire. Since that the New Testament mentions him three times, all three times in a negative connotation, all three times connected with the apostasy of the last days, we know, friend, that he was a prophet of hire, but listen to me, he wasn't a false prophet. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. I mean, this prophecy that he gave about Israel was true, but he knew something about how to approach God. And look, he got it wrong. He got it wrong. The substance of his worship wasn't right. He thought that if we could do certain things, seven altars, seven rams, seven, uh, seven lambs, that surely that would get God's attention. No, friend, listen. It's more about how we do what we do than what we do. Say amen right there. You'll get that in a little bit. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. When Balaam finally came from Beth Peor, which was near the Euphrates, and I thought about you every time I read that again, uh, we got one man in here. It's been at the Euphrates River, Brother Philip Cantrell. And he came from Mesopotamia. And, and he was hired by Balak. Balak, when he brought him into Moab, took him to high places, took him to places that were elevated on a mountain to where he could see the nation of Israel down in the, down in the wilderness, down in the valley on their march. And Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by the burnt offering, and I will go. Peradventure, the Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he sheweth me, I will tell thee. And he went to an high place. Balak hired Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. Everybody look up here. Nobody can curse those whom God has blessed. Say amen. Thank God for that. 
He didn't understand the imputed righteousness of God. Balaam didn't understand God at all. He knew men were unrighteous. He even knew that bunch wandering through the wilderness still had sin in their life and among them in the camp. But he didn't understand that they came out of Egypt, I'm about to shout right now, under the blood of the Lamb. And they had already gone by this time by a serpent raised up on a pole. So I'm going to tell you something, friend. In light of who and what God is, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for those that put their faith in Him at Calvary, listen, hell, the devil, and the demons can't do a thing against the people of God. And I say glory for that. Thank God. And God met Balaam. I want you to think of that. And God met Balaam and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars. I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. He, by this time, he had already spoken through a mule. It's one of the funniest stories that I ever read about anywhere in the Word of God. Here Balaam was on that mule three times. He saved Balaam's life. The third time, Balaam got off of him, took his took, took his uh, whip or his cane or whatever and started to beat the mule and the Lord opened the mule's mouth and the mule began to talk to Balaam and here's the funny thing Balaam began to speak to him like it was an everyday occurrence so here's the good news I got blessed I remember when I learned if God can use a mule he can use me amen God can use anything he chooses anyone he uses he uses Balaam to get his message out to Balak. He used Caiaphas even to prophesy in the New Testament. God is sovereign in this world of his. And he returned to him, and, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up this parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, have brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come to thy Israel. He said, uh, did I read that right? He said, how shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom God hath not defied? From the top of the rocks I will see him. From the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone. Speaking of the nation of Israel now. And shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Here's the message. Here's the text. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my latter end be like his. Father, we're thankful today for the word of God. We're thankful that you and your wisdom, Lord, moved upon holy men of God through the power and the agency of the Holy Spirit. And you inspired them word for word, Lord, line for line, jot and tittle, God, how to write what you wanted to be recorded. And Father, we're thankful that you not only inspired it, but that you have preserved it for us unto this day. Lord, we believe this morning as we stand in this place and as we've gathered in here to worship you that this is the word of God. Now help us to have ears to hear it. And may some man, woman, boy or girl that come in this place lost find, God our Father, what it means to be in Christ, to come to know the peace of God that passes understanding and the fact that you can forgive us of our sins 
and make us new creatures in Christ and we'll rejoice in you for that. For asking in the name of your son Jesus, our Savior, and all of God's people said. When Balaam realized, doing his best, going through the motions, doing it, now he wasn't, he wasn't sloppy in this. I mean, he, he was precise. I mean, it was real offering. I mean, he was serious in what he did. When he found out that the people of God could not be cursed, you know what he said? He said, in essence, I want to be like them. Let me, now watch this, let me die the death of the righteous and let my latter end be like his. Can I tell you something? Balaam wanted to die righteous, but you can't die righteous unless you live that way. So here's what I want to talk to you about today, a simple message about a subject we don't really like to talk about. We try to cover it up, beautify it, and, and cause us to believe that it's something else but. And I'm going to talk to you about the, the known and the unknown. I've got three points. There are two things that we know and one thing that we don't know. Two things are known, one thing is unknown. Y'all know life is full of mystery. I mean, life is mystery. Let me give you one of them. What happens to your socks when you put them in a dryer? Nobody's ever figured that out. You put two in and one comes out. There, there are other great mysteries in, in, in the world. I mean, a lot of people still trying to figure out if a light goes out in the refrigerator when you shut the door. A lot of people still haven't got that one figured. There's a lot of mystery, and, and I'll tell you, I remember in my life, when I learned, when I come to a point and place of peace in my heart, and I accepted the fact that I can live with mystery. That's one of the things that makes life as great as it is, I think. The mystery of it. Watching God work. Watching God move. Watching things unfold. But let me tell you something. There is a mystery that a lot of people may live with, but I don't want it. And look, friend, I encourage you. If you don't know, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself in the message, if you don't know how you'll die, it's not a question of if you'll die, and I'll prove that in a minute. It's a question about how you'll die. If you don't know that you'll die in Christ, if you don't know you'll die with your name in the Lamb Book of Life, if you don't know if you'll die with your sins under the blood, if you don't know you'll die saved and on your way to heaven, and friend, listen, that's a mystery you don't want to live without. You know, I meet people all the time, I'll say, look, are you saved? If you die today, you're going to heaven. That's why I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I remember living like that. And I remember living like that after I'd asked Jesus into my heart. I was taught that nobody could know till you die. But let me tell you something, friend. This book called the Bible gives us truth about a no-so-salvation. So if you come to Christ, repent of your sin, you can know you're saved and know you're going to heaven. All right, watch this. How many of you in here that are saved, say amen. How many of you that are saved know you're going to heaven if you die today, say amen. Bless God, you can know that too. We have a no-so salvation. But I want to talk to you again about three things. I want to talk to you about when, where, and how. Nobody knows when we're going to die. Nobody. 
unless you decide to take your life. That is possible. I think that it's a unique thing that God has empowered us and enabled us to take our own life if we choose to. It's not, everybody heard me say not, say amen. It's not the best thing to do. Life is worth living even with the problems and the pain that you face. There's another solution. There's other solutions. Believe me, I know. Look, we may not know when we'll die, but we must know that we will die. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Word of God says this, It is appointed unto man once to die. As I was reading and studying, preparing for this message, I've got two Bible apps on my phone, and I use them for concordance purposes more than anything, and I love them. And I I turned to them, and I I asked, I wrote the word died, D-I-E-D in it. Somebody died. How many times it's found in the Bible? Out of the 31,102 verses in the Bible, it was recorded 201 times, and that's pretty significant. And -and so-and-so died, and he died, and he died, and he died. But can I tell you what, friend? One of these days, the obituary is going to come out that they tell me that you've died. It's appointed unto men once to die. I've got a philosophy. You live long enough, you're going to die. It's not a question of if you'll die. The question is, when will you die? Where will you die? How will you die? Now look, two of those things we don't have any, we don't have any choice in for the biggest majority of us. But the last one we can do something about. Have you ever, have you ever looked much at the book of Genesis chapter 5? If you look there, you'll, you'll find two things that, that are said repetitively in those, in those verses. The, the, the chapter begins with the book of the generation of Adam. And it goes on to tell about Adam's descent, a descendants, the godly line. It's not everybody. It's not a complete uh, tree. It's not a, a tree of everybody that existed. It's, it's a tree of those uh, that were uh, come after Adam who is a man of faith. You know what the Bible says? Two things in, in, that, in that passage, in that great chapter. Two things about these men. They lived and they died. Eight times it's recorded this phrase, and he died. A man by the name of Adam, the first man on planet earth, died. A man by the name of Methuselah that lived to be 969 years, he died. But wait this minute, there's a man by the name of Enoch who was the grandfather of a man by the name of Noah. He didn't die. That's the man I want to live like. You know, how, you know what happened to Enoch? He was translated. He didn't see death because he had a testimony that he pleased God. But chapter 5 of the book of Genesis is the graveyard of the Bible. And it emphasized the fact that man died. You say, why did they die? Preacher, two reasons. Number one in Genesis chapter 2, when God had created man, put him in a garden, put him in a perfect place, made a perfect man, put him in a perfect creation, gave him liberty to everything in the garden, but one tree, the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, Adam, look, he said, partake of anything and everything you want here except that one tree in the midst of the garden. He said, don't, don't, don't take of it, don't eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Listen to me, friend. Listen, listen closely. God never, I'm going to say it again, God never brings judgment until he warns. 
Now that scares me some. If there's somebody in here lost, bless God, you're here on a good day. You say, why? You, you, you say, I'm scared to death. You say, my heart's beating like a, like, like a, like a freight train running. Look, I'm, I'm almost uh, sad that it came this morning. No, if that's what's going on you, you're in a good place. Your good things are happening to you if you do the right thing. But God never judges unless he warns. And if you're lost, friend, he brought you in a good place. And that sounds like you, you need to get right with the Lord. I can prove that. that. That's the truth that goes all the way through the Word of God. I don't have time to prove it. But in chapter 3, you all know what happened. Probably, if I were making a list of the top five chapters in the Word of God, Genesis chapter 3 would probably be number one. That chapter, without chapter 3, none of the rest of the Bible makes sense. It is a sad chapter, but it is a chapter that promises great things. And it's the chapter where we find Adam and Eve disobeying God, transgressing His laws, and partaking of the fruit on that tree and eating so that their eyes were open. They became sinners, lost their fellowship with God, and God had to redeem them. God promised a Savior there. Do you understand what I'm saying? God warned in chapter 2, the day you eat thereof, you'll die. In chapter 3, they ate, and guess what they did? They died. Now look, they did not die physically immediately the moment they partook of that fruit but they died spiritually there was a light in them that when they partook of that fruit it went out they became afraid of God their eyes were open they knew they were naked and when they heard the voice of God calling they ran and tried to hide themselves among the trees even tried to do a work of righteousness to cover up their nakedness Y'all know what? The only thing to take care of our sins and us as a sinner is the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to our life by faith. Somebody help me preach and say amen. So look, I'd warned them, don't eat of the tree. Chapter 3, they ate, they died. And let me tell you that Adam and Eve died the first day of their life prophetically. They died before a thousand years was passed. But that's neither here nor there. So let's, let's look. The unknowns, the unknowns are where you'll die. You know, as I was studying for this, I went through the Word of God to see where people died. They, they died. they died in bed. That's where I'd like to die, sleep in bed, not know anything about it. Amen. That'd be better than going down in an airplane, would it not? <laughs> I mean, really. I, I, you know, some people died, died in the wilderness. If you're, if you're a saved man or a woman, this message is to you too, by the way. It's for me. I've been in the wilderness as a believer. I mean, I, I, I've wandered in places I shouldn't. That's not the best place to die, by the way. We ought to seek to get close to the Lord. Steve, didn't you read the scripture, draw nine to God and he will draw nine to you? Do you think that was an accident that God had you to read that this morning before this message? Some people died on the mountaintop. You know what? That's where I'd like to be. I'd like to be on the mountaintop shouting the praises of God when I go. I wouldn't mind going in the pulpit preaching. Wouldn't that be good? Some of you think I'm dead already, but nonetheless. Hey, where? It's unknown. It's unknown. There was a man by the name of Terah who was the father of a man by the name of Abraham, Abram who died in a place called Haran, Haran. You know what Haran means? It means delay. 
Can I tell you what, sinner friend? One of the worst things you can do is delay getting saved. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you even now, come to the altar, bow, get saved, hum me your way where you're sitting, and say, God, save me. I don't want to live like this another minute. I don't understand it, but I want you to save me. God will save you. Because I know too many people have said, Preacher, I'll get saved next week and didn't have next week to come. Preacher, I'll get saved the next time God deals with me. How many of y'all can say when God dealt with you the night or the day that he did, it seemed like the Spirit says, listen, buddy, you best take me up on this offer. This may be your last one. Anybody else hear him say that? A lot of people I know have. Friend, I've heard him testify that. We ought not delay giving our life to Jesus. We ought not to delay coming to know Christ. You say, why? Look in the book of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, I believe it is, verse 12. Listen to this. This is startling. Is it 8 and 12? 9 and 12 maybe? There it is, 9 and 12. For man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes are taken in an evil net, as the birds that are caught in the snares, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Boast not thyself against tomorrow, for thou knowest not the things that a day may bring. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time, the Word of God says. So you may not know where you'll die. You may be in the bed. You, you, you may be in the wilderness. You may be on the mountaintop. Literally, I, I spoke spiritually what to go to the to the believer. But friend, listen. One of these days, death is going to find you right where you are. Number two. Another unknown is, how will you die? I done told you how I'd like to die. Asleep. <laughs> I'd just soon not know anything about it. I'd just soon do like my great-grandmother, Mama Walker. She was fascinated with a uh, cassette Long time ago, these kids walking around with computers in their hands don't understand what I'm talking about. What a big deal cassette players were. Do y'all remember that? And while she was down in St. Albans at my great aunt's home, she, uh, she would be left in, in, in the days that uh, Uncle Wilmer and Aunt Thelma are still working, and she would, you know, take that cassette tape and she would record things. I've got a wonderful tape of her talking about her talking about her and her parents going up the Elk River on a raft that Grandpa King built. Pretty amazing. Heard her testimony, heard her sing her old song, I've got angels, food to eat, no honey is so sweet. And I've seen her do that with her feet swollen so big that they'd go over her shoes and she'd kick them off and take her hanky and walk the floor, man. But she was one day using that. The family was gone. She clicked it off went to sleep on a couch, and that's where they found her. And wouldn't that be sweet? I'd rather go that way than in a car with Debbie driving going over a rock cliff. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. I'd just soon not know about it. So, so when will we die? There, there, look, friend, there's only really four, four choices when you begin to think about it. 
I can narrow it down to three, but since I found four in the Bible, I'm going to use it. You know what? We, we, we're liable to die in the morning. That's what happened to Nabal in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now, I know he didn't die until a week later, but I'll tell you what, his heart became hard that morning. I've seen people die and their body not start stop uh, functioning until a day or two later. I've seen that. I can give you names. But Nabal, the Bible said in the morning, when his wife Abigail told him what had happened, his heart became a stone. And you know when else she could die? According to the Word of God, 2 Kings chapter 4, that uh, woman whose home Elisha was staying in, he died at noon. Do you remember that? Father out in the field, little boy come running to his mommy, crying with his head. She climbed up on his lap and died, the Bible says. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 22, King Saul, he had been in battle all day. In battle all day. And you know when he died? He died in the evening. Pretty amazing. And one more. There was a child, 1 Kings chapter 3. I was trying to remember, trying to remember the context of it. He died at night. Hey, you don't know where you're going to die. I don't know where I'm going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. There have been people that have been in services similar to this. Friend that says, look. I hear you speaking to me, Lord. I know you're talking to my heart, but, but, I'll come back this evening and get saved. I'll come back next Sunday and give my life to you. And you know what? Never happened. I'm going to tell you about two people that I knew very personally. I could tell you about a bunch. I was talking to a friend of mine one Saturday morning. We met at the car wash down at Freedy. That's in Van, West Virginia. And we were talking. We played football together. Went to school together. He and I worked together. Uh, his first name was Roger. That's all I'll give to him. He drove a Corvette. He's a good guy. Good guy. You remember him, don't you, Debbie? He had a daughter at that time. was real young, cute as can be. And we were chit-chatting. And I asked him, I said, where are you going, Roger? He said, well, so I'm going to go up and see Dad and then head on home. He went up to his dad's that lived probably a mile and a quarter from where the car wash is. Stopped talking to his dad a little bit, pulled out on the road, and on his way up, West Fork is where we called. West Fork, he had an accident and hit a sycamore tree. There wasn't any bigger round than that. And it went out into eternity. Now, I'd witnessed to him before. I witnessed to him that morning. I said, Roger, won't you come and go to church with us sometime, give your heart to the Lord. I don't remember exact words, but I can tell you what most of them say, well, I need to. And, and, and I'll think about it, or I'm going to. Hey, listen, friend. Listen, rest assured. We may not know when we'll die, and we may not know where we'll die, but prepare for it, count on it, we're going to die. Never forget my Uncle Barry. 19 what? Debbie 72? First year Debbie and I were married. Man, I loved him. He, he was my hero. I, you talk about having somebody on a pedestal. He was on a... If he was here, if he was still living in among it, y'all would love him. I mean, you'd just love him. He was talented. He was funny. He was tender-hearted. 
But man, listen, he was, he was just an amazing person in a lot of ways that I am not. But on August, I can't remember the date, he was a foreman in, in the coal industry. Wharton number four is what they called him. He was a good man. They loved him. They, his men loved him. He got along with everybody. At the end of the shift, now listen to this, the day was coming to an end, ready to change. The day was ready to come out, the evening ready to go in. Miner had pulled out, they were getting ready to make the place, quote, safe. And my uncle did what he shouldn't have done. He went out un, under unsupported top. As he went in, a man by the name of Bill Bunty came out the same place. The rock fell on him. Crushed him so bad, couldn't open. He wouldn't hardly even recognizable, I'm told. It was so close for Bill Bunny that the rock scraped his back and actually tore his mind belt off of him. Listen, folks, life is full of mysteries. Don't know when, don't know where, but we know for certain we will. Y'all are praying, are you not? Now, I know this isn't a shouting message. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Now let me give you the last. There are two unknowns, but there's one thing that we can know. Let me ask you something. All of us, this is applicable to us, and I'm getting close to ending. How will you finish your life? Brother, sister, you that are saved, how are you going to end your life? You're going to finish well? You're going to end with an exclamation point? You're going to end with a question mark. You know what? I'd rather, I'd rather begin bad and end well than I would begin good and end bad. Now, if you're like me, and I've been praying this is a long time now, Lord, I'm going to finish well. I'm, I mean that with all of my heart. I want, by the grace of God, to finish well. I hear pre preachers talk about, well, I retired. There'll be a day that I'll no longer be able to pastor. I'm aware of that. I've asked the board to make me aware of it. If I miss it, be kind to let me know that it's time for you to move on, move out. And I hope by the grace of God I'll know it before they do and let them know. But I want to finish well. Not retiring. I'll quit pastoring because I have to, but I'll keep doing the ministry in some way. In some way. I'm not retiring. I want to finish well. But how will you finish? How about you, friend, that are lost and undone? You see, I believe by the grace of God, we can finish well. But in order to do that, we need to know Christ as our Savior and trust in Him and what He's done in Calvary. And listen to me. No, listen to the Spirit of God. I hope the Spirit of God is in this and on me. Nothing, nothing is more important for all of us to leave behind when we die, then a testimony that leaves no doubt for the people that we know and especially our family that we've gone to be with the Lord. Nothing. I've dealt with family after family after 45 years plus in the ministry. Every family that calls me to do a funeral, you know what they want? They want the preacher to give them hope for their loved one that's died. And the only way I can give them hope is if they tell me that person knew Christ as Savior. Hey, listen, folks, this is real. We're talking about our souls. We're talking about something called eternity. So, so listen, how will you die? 
Will you die with a question mark? Will you die with an exclamation point? There are four or five men, excuse me, died in the Bible. The Bible says, full of days. That's the phrase. Full of days. There's a man by the name of Abraham in Genesis 25. His son by the name of Isaac in Genesis 38. There's a man by the name of David. You'll find that in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29. A man by the name of Job in Job 42. And a man that was a king by the name of Jehoiada in, in, uh, in I, I didn't get the book. It's either First or Second Chronicles. And you know what? You know what the phrase full of days means? Listen, satisfied with life. Isn't that beautiful? Satisfied with life. Wouldn't you like to be able to pillar your head like that? Wouldn't you like to be able to do like Jesus on the cross when he knew all the scripture was fulfilled, suspended between the heaven and the earth as a sinner substitute dying in my stead and your stead, dying with God laying upon him my sin and your sin and the sin of all the world, dying there with the nails in his hands and in his feet. Knowing that all the scripture had been fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Soldier put some vinegar. It was some kind of a wine that the soldiers drank, a cheap wine. They put it to his lips and he drank it. He cried after that, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he said this word, Te Telestei. In our language, it is finished. I've fulfilled. I've lived a full life. It's complete. I've done what God wanted me to do on planet earth. You know what the Bible said? This is beautiful. The Bible said he bowed his head and died. Now you'd think somebody on the cross, if they could hold their head up, when the life went out of them, their head would just flop, right? You know the picture of that? Verbiage, he bowed his head and died is. It's he laid his head on his bosom as if he laid it on a pillow to go to sleep. Beautiful. How are you going to die, friend? I've seen people listen. I've seen people before the creation of drugs that lets every man seemingly die comfortable when they're in the hospital. And I, I believe in hospice care. I believe in pain management when you get to the end of the way. But I've read stories of people that before all of these things happened, there was a guy one time by the name of, of uh, Voltaire, probably the most well-known atheist in, in all of history. When he was dying, they tell me, that every man or any person that entered into his bedchamber, his death chamber, he said, Nazarene, are you the Nazarene? Nazarene, are you the Nazarene? And the nurse that was paid and charged to take care of him made this statement. He said, for all of the wealth of, of, of Britain or wherever it was at, it's in Europe, she said, I would not watch 
another infidel die. I've read stories of men grabbing the hold of their iron bed, pulling their feet up, saying, Get me out of the fire. Get me out of the fire. Hey, folks, listen. It's a real thing, eternity. And all of us have one before us. And we decide in this life whether we'll die saved and on our way to heaven or lost and on our way to a devil's hell. Let me tell you where I'm going. Because of the grace of God, because of the fact April the 23rd, 1974, the Lord visited my heart at my home Bob White, West Virginia, and said, Son, you know you're going to die, but you don't have to die lost. That's why you're here, sinner friend. If there's anybody here lost, that's why you've come. You hear that message, you're going to die, but you don't have to die lost. You don't know when you'll die. You don't know where you'll die. Friend, you'll know how you die. What do you want to leave for your family? How easy do you want to make the task for the pastor that gets charged with your funeral? What do you want to leave him? How do you want to do that? Every head bowed, nobody looking around.